Well, good morning, everyone, and welcome to our Sunday morning service for July the 19th, 2020. It is great to be with you, and um, I hope you're, you've had a good week, and the sun's out a little bit here in, uh, in Brossard in the Greenfield Park area. Uh, so I'm just going to open up the service in prayer this morning. Father, we thank you. And we worship you today. We praise you today. And uh, Lord, uh, we ask that you would help us just to uh, focus in upon you and to think about you, to grow closer to you. Lord, we are so thankful that we have an opportunity to be with one another, even though it's through an electronic medium. We're so thankful and so grateful for the opportunity. We're so thankful for the health and for the strength that you've given to us. We're so thankful for another day that you have given to us where we can, we can be with you, where we can have fellowship with you, where we can have communion with you, Lord. And so I pray you would help us to put distractions aside. Lord, I pray for uh, the ones who are watching or who will watch. And there's just so much anxiety and there's so much pressure uh, and there's so much going on in our, in our hearts and souls today. But Lord, we pray for the peace of the Spirit of God to be our strength. And Lord, uh, we just thank you that you are indeed with us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Fearless, 
fearless Finally free And your spirit makes me fearless Fearless You call my heart out of the dark Fearless, fearless Finally free Your spirit makes me I searched the world But it couldn't fill me Man's empty praise And treasures that fade Are never enough Then you came along And put me back together Every desire is now satisfied Here in your love Oh, there's nothing Better than you Oh, there's nothing Better than you Oh, there's nothing Nothing is better than you I'm not afraid To show you my weakness My failures and flaws Lord, you've seen them all And you still call me friend Cause the God of the mountain Is the God of the valley there's not a place Your mercy and grace Won't find me again Oh, there's nothing Better than you Oh, there's nothing Better than you Lord, there's nothing Nothing is better than you Oh, there's nothing better than you, Lord, there's nothing better than you, Lord, there's nothing, nothing is better than you. You turn morning to dancing. You give beauty for ashes You turn shame into glory You're the only one who can You turn mourning to dancing You give beauty for ashes You turn shame into glory you're the only one who can You turn graves into gardens You turn bones into armies You turn seas into highways You're the only one who can You turn graves into gardens you turn bones into armies You turn seas into highways You're the only one who can Oh, there's nothing Better than you, oh, there's nothing Better than you, oh, there's nothing Nothing is better than you Oh, there's nothing 
Better than you, Lord, there's nothing. Better than you, Lord, there's nothing. Nothing is better than you. So, Lord, may that be true of us today. And uh, it's so it's so challenging. Uh, Lord, we can give lip service and say that that there's nothing, nothing in this world that is better than having a relationship with God. Uh, but Lord, sometimes the way that we live is so far from that. And sometimes it's the, the way that we behave, the way that we speak, the way that we act, uh, our behavior. Lord, uh, at times it is uh, so selfish and so materialistic and um, even arrogant. And, and Lord, uh, I pray that you would forgive us uh, for it's so easy for us to take our eyes off of you. Uh, the culture it certainly doesn't encourage us to, to worship you. Uh, but Lord, uh, I pray that we would, we would get a hold of you once again and we would put you first in our lives you said to seek you first and your kingdom first and all the righteousness of your kingdom first and lord sometimes we do it last sometimes you're at the bottom of the of the pile of things so i pray that you would forgive us i pray for those who are watching listening those who will watch who will listen and lord uh, they're they're just experimenting and, and wondering if any of this is, is real and if God is real and if Jesus is real. I pray that you would show themself, uh, show yourself to them today, God. Uh, we pray for those who are, who are in situations today. If finances are being squeezed, uh, relationships within homes are being squeezed and pushed. Uh, and God, there's anxiety and uh, and uh, uncertainty and, and anger i pray lord that your presence would um would somehow breathe new life into people and breathe uh, hope and courage into people's hearts we pray for this this uh, situation we continue to live with lord uh, into months now and we pray for those who are in uh, uh, serving in hospitals and in long-term care. We pray that you would strengthen them, those are in, who are serving in positions of high risk. God, we pray for our seniors, and we pray your protection over people. We pray for uh, for you to give the, the sense to those who are developing vaccines and treatments that you would infuse them, God, with your wisdom. Uh, Lord, that uh, that we would see uh, a corner turned here, and uh, Lord, we we just thank you that you are in control of all things, that you are sovereign, and that you are not surprised, Lord. You are not at all shocked, uh, but you are you are the King, you are our God, you are our Savior, you are our protector, our provider. So, Lord, we put you first once again in our lives. We pray in Jesus' name, and everyone said, Amen. Amen. Well, God bless you today, and, and welcome again to our Sunday morning service. Those of you who are joining in with us, it's great to be with you, and uh, the rain has, has started to hold off. I'm just looking outside my window now, as many of you probably are, and so I hope that you are taking some time uh, as it is July, to spend time with family, to enjoy the the, the outdoors. Uh, last week on Sunday, we had a number of people from our church meet at a big park in Longay, and it was such a great time. You know, we spent, I don't know, three and a half, four hours together just, just kind of sitting around and talking, really, and just enjoying one another's company. And uh, that was such a, a great time. And uh, then on on Thursday, we were able to spend some time with some of the members of our band who put together a fantastic worship recording that you are going to see over the next couple of weeks. 
uh, as you keep tuning in. So it's just great to be with you. And uh, I would encourage those of you who are here for the very first time. There's a slide going to come up on the, that's going to come up on the screen. If you're a first time guest with us, you've just joined into the feed, or maybe you're watching the recording of this. Uh, if you could do me a favor and text the key phrase "reach the one." to 514-900-0130. There is a special gift that will be sent to you via email. Just need your name, your cell, and your email, and uh, I will send that out to you. So if you can text that key phrase, uh, and you can also follow us on our website at citypointchurch.ca. Uh, there in the Connect section, you'll see uh, all these messages. The videos are posted. There is a link to our audio um uh, platform which is Podbean, and we also are podcasting on the uh, uh, Apple Podcasts. Got to get that right. Used to be called iTunes on the Apple Podcast platform as well. So you can subscribe to those, and uh, anytime that something new is posted, it comes straight to your inbox. You get a notification. Uh, continue to pray for our missionaries, uh, of course, Michelle and Louis Charbonneau, who are in Port-au-Prince, Haiti today continuing to to uh, pastor that fantastic church, Eglise La Forteresse. I have been there, and you can go there online if you watch their service. is also online at uh, Eglise La Forteresse page on Facebook. And they're pretty early in the morning there in Port-au-Prince at 8.30 in the morning is when they broadcast, but you can also watch the recording. And pray as well for Don and Marie-Josée Mann as they will be engaging in leadership training uh, all around the world uh, and, of course, based here in Canada. Monday to Friday, I'll continue to handle your questions, God's questions. We're actually looking at some of the questions that God asks of us, and but you can always submit uh, as well, and uh, you can do that on our website, citypointchurch.ca slash contact and I will do that uh, this week and then uh, for the next couple of Sundays uh, I'll be taking um, a couple of weeks off and uh, you will have uh, guest speakers on this feed. We'll continue to broadcast the service and uh, you'll have Pastor John Hippolito from Laval Christian Assembly and Pastor Ron Russ from Trinity Pentecostal Church, both great uh, churches and uh, pastors who I uh, know very, very well and very supportive of our church and the work that we do. So keep tuning in and uh, you will you will be ministered to by those, uh, those men. And um, you can continue to give. Thank you so much for your consistency over the summer months on our website on the Give button. And uh, there's also people who have been mailing uh, their checks and so on. So thank you so much for being faithful. You know, the church feels it just like we all feel it in our households. And when there is consistent generosity, we're able to keep our online platforms going. We're able to continue to support our missionaries. And so we're so thankful for your generosity, your involvement. We are in a series called Podcasts from Peter, and this is actually part Seven And the title of our message today is Give Me One Good Reason. Give Me One Good Reason. And we started with Peter's first letter, and now we are starting to chip away at Peter's second letter, and we are going to keep doing this. Uh, the messages over the next couple of weeks will be different ones from different speakers, but then I'll come right back uh, to this. Peter has so much to say to us. And uh, if he had access to podcast technology and all of the things that we're using today in the 21st century, uh, he would be on it. And because you can reach this huge, huge audience uh, at a relatively low cost uh, with a device that fits in the palm of your hand. Incredible. And the way that he writes and the way that he communicates is very simple to follow, very easy to understand. And so it's kind of like a podcast that we're reading when we read his two letters that are preserved for us in the New Testament. Uh, as we've been looking, if you're just tuning in with the series and you haven't seen any of the messages previously, Peter is writing from Rome, and he gives us clues to that. He uses the word Babylon, that he's writing from Babylon, and that's that's the language that he would use as kind of insider language to his audience, that he would be writing from the city of Rome. Nero is the emperor. Nero did very cruel things uh, to the church and to Christians. And uh, Nero died in the year 68, the history books tell us. 
And it's likely true that Peter was uh, martyred under Nero and killed under Nero, as was the Apostle Paul. And so the second letter here is probably around the year 65. Uh, Peter gives us clues that he's uh, fairly certain that his, his leaving of this world is going to happen soon. So he's probably writing about A.D. 65 uh, or maybe 64. Nero set fire to the city of Rome in 64, and he actually blamed the Christians for this. Um, So anyway, uh, 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 Peter is writing from Rome. He is writing uh, to a group of churches in several different provinces there that you see hopefully on your screen. There's a map there of the different provinces that he is writing to. And they, the people in these places are experiencing persecution, certainly from Nero and, um, and from all that he's doing in the Roman Empire, but also uh, likely from a group of uh, very strict Jewish people from the south of where they are. Um, it's often misunderstood, and people think that Christianity is somehow anti-Semitic and anti-Jewish. That's not the case. But you do have a section of Jews uh, at that time who were opposed to Jesus, who were opposed to uh, the church at large. Paul was one of them, and Paul had this incredible conversion experience where he was opposed to Christ and to Christianity, violently even, and then had this remarkable conversion experience where his life turned around 180 degrees, uh, but he was a persecutor of the church. And so these people are living in circumstances of persecution, and Peter in his first letter has a lot to say about how you live under suffering and how you live under persecution. And in Second Peter, he's, it's more of a warning. Uh, it's more of him trying to remind these people of what they believe and why uh, what they believe is is true and why they should keep following what they believe. And there's also a threat that they're experiencing of uh, false teachers that are on the rise uh, right in their in their provinces and right in their churches. And we see a similarity uh, with Second Peter and a letter from Jude who is the half-brother of Jesus. His name is also pronounced Judas. We don't often use that name when referring to him, but Jude and Second Peter are very, very similar. And it's likely true that Peter was hearing all of this from Jude while Peter was, from, uh, was in prison, and then he's warning these churches in these various provinces in what is now called uh, Turkey in the modern uh, time. And so uh, I want to focus on two passages of Scripture today. Uh, one of them is actually from First Peter, and the next one is from Second Peter. Now, in our in our daily podcast, I had mentioned we were going to be doing Second Peter two. That was a mistake. We're going to stay in Second Peter chapter one uh, because there's so much in there. And um, I want to start by First Peter chapter three, and these passages are going to come on the screen for you. But uh, chapter three and verse fifteen. But in your hearts, set apart Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you for the reason for the hope that you have. Give me one reason, please. That's the title of our message. But do this with gentleness and respect. And then from Second Peter uh, chapter 1, Verse 16, we did not follow cleverly invented stories when we told you about the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. Give me one good reason. I'm, I'm feeling a sense, I'm going to speak somewhat transparently with you today, I'm feeling a sense Uh, that we need to be about the business of sharing our faith more. And as a church, and this is a young, very young church, uh, in September will be our fourth anniversary, and we, we are aiming to meet back at our location, which is Cineplex Complex Distante, on the, the 20th of September, which would be our fourth anniversary weekend, uh, but I, I feel a kind of a, of a, uh, a whispering uh, or um, a kind of a prodding 
as your as your pastor to say that we need to do more in sharing our faith we need to do more in being involved in our community we need to do more in reaching the one who is far from god so that together we would become passionate followers of jesus that's why we launched this church uh, there's so few churches in the city of Brossard and the outlying areas, so few, especially in the English language. You can count them on one hand. And so there's this enormous need for people to learn what is Christianity, what is the gospel, who is God, the basic questions, how can I be saved, all of these things. People do not really know the answers to these questions. And they need to have a good reason to, um, to understand why these things are even important in the first place. And we need to be about the business of sharing our faith, those of us who claim to be followers of Jesus. And um, what we're going to be doing as a church uh, in the month of August, probably mid to late August, is we're going to be starting an online alpha course. And I have uh, emailed uh, our church about this. And if you're on our contact list, as I mentioned uh, when we started this service, uh, you'll be on that list as well. But we're going to be building um, an alpha course that's going to be online uh, starting sometime in the month of August. And what Alpha is, is this is a contemporary video-based presentation over multiple weeks of what Christianity is all about. It is extremely well done, very well produced, very engaging, and it is designed for people who would admittedly not be Christians at all, but have many, many questions about life, about existence, about God, about the Bible, about Jesus, about the things that, that the Bible says, all these different kinds of questions. And they're looking for a forum, for a place that's safe, where those questions can be answered. And what happens in an Alpha course, and I know somebody who's watching right now who became a Christian through an Alpha course, and what happens in, in Alpha is people begin to develop relationships with one another because they're together every week. And whether that's online or in person, it works. And you begin to journey together as you discover some of the answers to these questions. And it's a very non-threatening uh, environment. It doesn't take a lot of people to run uh, but I, w I will need people who who are going to invite people uh, who are actually going to, you know, share a Facebook ad with friends and are actually going to invite people to join our Alpha course. I'll need people who are going to be on that uh, that Zoom call every week. We'll, we'll present the videos through the Zoom platforms who will participate in the group discussion, who will follow up visitors, who will pray for people. Um, and there may be some of you and you have all these questions anyway and you want to be a part of it. Well, stay tuned and uh, you can join in with us. And uh, there's no, you know, no one's being forced. No one's arms being twisted. I just need a little small team to get the whole thing going. It's very, very difficult to do all by yourself. But that's part of reaching the one who is far from God. And uh, also, I'll keep challenging you on this. Um, you can get involved in your community in a, in a safe way and in an easy way by volunteering. I mean, there's so many different organizations that are looking for people to serve and looking for people to volunteer. I work at one of them. I do two days a week at Mission Nouvelle Génération, a food bank that, that feeds over 1,500 families uh, a week with over 70 tons of food. Um, and I wear my face shield all day long, and yeah, it's hot, and yeah, it's uncomfortable, and there are others wearing masks all day long. Yes, it's hot. Yes, it's uncomfortable, but it keeps you safe, and you can get out, and you can serve, and you can be with people who, who are not Christians and who are in need, and you can be a part of your community and get out there and serve. Uh, some of you don't realize this, but there's a real need for people to give blood uh, at this time. Because there are people who need that, and the, the donors are way, way, way down. There's people who have uh, cancer, and they need, they need uh, platelets and so on all the time. And they're not able to have the access uh, 
to to those things because the donor base is much less. You know what you're doing when you get out there and you give blood? You're being involved in your community. You're helping someone live when you do that. So there's all kinds of things that you can do. And, you know, it's one thing to to be uh, safe. It's another to be terrified. Uh, you can't, You shouldn't be terrified in this time. You should be smart and you should be wise. And fear can paralyze you from doing anything. But there's still ways to get out there in your community and serve and share your faith. Give me one good reason. Now, I want to answer a couple of questions today uh, based on these texts that we have read from Peter's writings. And the first one is, why are you a Christian? Why? Give me one good reason. Those of you who are on the other side of this camera or listening, maybe you're watching, listening to a recording, and you profess to be a follower of Jesus, give me one good reason why. Let me challenge you. Why are you a Christian? Is the reason that you are a Christian compelling? Are you ready to share that reason? Is it something that's always on the front of your mind? Peter says, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason. So if someone says to you, give me one good reason why I should become a Christian. Give me a reason why you are a Christian. Are you ready to share that reason? Are you prepared to share that reason? I'm not I'm not asking you why is Christianity true? We'll deal with that in a few moments in a separate question. Peter deals with it pretty simply in uh, in his writings. But why are you a Christian? What is the reason why you are a Christian? Ask yourself that question and is that reason compelling? Is that reason compelling enough to share with someone else? You don't have to be a scientist to do that. You don't have to be a Bible scholar to do that. I'm not asking a Bible scholar question. I'm not asking a scientific question. I'm asking you a question. Why are you a Christian? Give me a reason why, and is that reason compelling? And uh, we call this we call this actually soteriology. It's a field of study in theology. It's a study of salvation. Why? And I'm asking you this question because that question has been asked of me uh, in very recent days. I had a great conversation with uh, a lady this week, and and she knows I'm a pastor, and she watches our 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 stuff on on uh, online and all that, and uh, and she comes up with these amazing questions, and and she said to me something that I want to I want to share with you today, and if she's watching, I'm sure she'll be okay with this, and and uh, what she said to me was, you know, um, I, I've I've observed that that religions. Uh, the the goal is to teach good character and virtues and love and morals and ethics and that seems to be what what religions are are all about and that's that's their goal and and i said to her well it's the goal of some religions it's not the goal of of all religions and uh, you just need to know that that's true right there are some religions and their goal is all about self and it's about me, it's about my gratification, and there are whole religious systems that are developed about that. But in any case, uh, she said, well, let's talk about Christianity. Isn't that what Christianity is all about? I mean, you know, these love your neighbor as yourself and these good ethics and morals and and so on. I said, well, m- not exactly, uh, to which she was a little bit surprised. Uh, and she started to unpack the question more. She said, well, look, here's my question. I have noticed that people who are not Christians and who are not religious are sometimes more virtuous, show greater characters, show greater ethics, show greater love for their neighbor than people who profess to be Christians. And they seem to be more Christian than some Christians. Uh, Have you ever noticed this? I have. Uh, and the longer that I pastor, the more that I notice this, that at times people who call themselves Christians can be, wow, it can be pretty nasty, uh, can be pretty pretty selfish, can be pretty materialistic, can be pretty cruel. 
uh, and you see this uh, in the ministry, and I've been on the receiving end uh, of some of that, and so has my family, and uh, so have some of you. Uh, and when you when you get hurt and when you get beaten up, uh, so to speak, uh, by people who profess to be, you know, religious or profess to be Christian, boy, that hurts. That hurts even more sometimes. And so her question was, you know, if it's so that people who are who who are not Christians can sometimes be more Christian in their behavior than Christians, then why, give me a reason why a person should become a Christian if the goal of Christianity is to make someone more virtuous and more ethical and more loving, which it seems to be the goal of it, then why should I become a Christian? Why should anybody become a Christian if they can possess those qualities without becoming a Christian? Excellent question. Give me one good reason why you're a Christian. Is it compelling? Are you ready to share it? And I said to, to, to I gave this lady uh, the answer. And um, I, I'm going to illustrate this for you uh, uh, before I explain it, okay? Uh, baseball season is, is upon us. And some of you who know me know that, know that I like to watch it and, and uh, love the sport. And so it is upon us. And uh, the regular season is going to be 60 games and no fans in the stadium and people wearing masks. And, you know, it's just this bizarre time if you know anything about the sport. And I want to try and explain why a person should become a Christian using a simple uh, illustration from this sport, okay? Uh, On your screen, you see a picture of a former, he's retired now, former professional baseball player by the name of Rick Ankeel. And you probably have not heard of him unless you unless you you know the sport fairly well. Uh, Somewhat of an obscure name, but but now uh, known for something very, very specific. And this picture of him actually is uh, from the year 2000 in the playoffs, where he was a superstar young pitcher, uh, phenom. And um, uh, people had extremely high hopes for him and were comparing him to uh, Sandy Koufax. Uh, If you know anything about the sport, one of the, you know, one of the the uh, most intimidating and best pitchers of the entire sport in history. The people were comparing this young man, very, very young, broke into the majors at the age of 19. And this is from the year 2000. And this is from the playoffs when something very, very unique happened uh, to this man. It happens to people in some sports, uh, and it does happen to people in all walks of life. But when it happens in the sports world, in the professional sports world, people take notice. And what happened was he could not throw the ball over the plate. He, all of a sudden, was wild. And he was throwing the ball in the dirt. He was throwing the ball behind the hitters. He set a record in a playoff game for throwing five wild pitches in one inning. No one has since broken the record. And uh, he had what people have called the yips. And the yips in, in the sports world means all of a sudden the athlete cannot perform the most basic thing anymore. And it's like a psychological thing. And, and mentally speaking, they simply cannot do it. Their head is in the way. And there, there's something psychological that's going on in the way of their performance and he simply could not do it and you see the next picture of his catcher trying to console him i mean if you watch the video you see an absolute crash uh in this athlete in his confidence level everything you can see it on his face he's in front of fifty thousand people hundreds of thousands of people watching on television and he absolutely completely crashed that day in uh, the playoffs in the year 2000. And so they began to try and figure out after all that happened, what in the world is wrong with this athlete? He cannot throw a strike to save his life. And 
and he he they had such high hopes for him they couldn't figure it out and of course then they get into the whole area of sports psychology and trying to unravel what is going on with this athlete you see it in golf you see it in basketball you see it in all these kinds of I remember Shaquille O'Neal a great basketball player couldn't throw a free throw to save his life I mean he simply could not do it and uh, this is an enormous a player, a fantastic player, one of the greatest in history, and he could not throw a free throw. And so we see this in all these different areas, and what happens in the sports world is very, very interesting, and people watch. And so the story of this man was that he, you know, the psychologists try and break down what's going on, what's the anxiety that's happening, and uh, he comes from a background, very abusive father, and his whole persona growing up was in the sport of baseball, and he was going to be the most greatest player the most intimidating player with this kind of chip on his shoulder of anger because of this abusive father and that's kind of who he who he became and what his persona was and when he broke into the majors and when he was pitching he was just unbelievably talented and intimidating to hitters and so all of a sudden when he couldn't get that ball over the plate he talks about how this the weight of the world was on his shoulders. Now, I know it's just a sport, and I know it's just like it's not even it's not even real life in that sense, right? But for an athlete, it's everything. And it was like his whole he felt like I just let everyone down. If you watch the interviews with him, and there's a little documentary that you can watch, I just let everyone down. Everyone, I let down my teammates, I let down my family, I let myself down, I let everyone down, I let everyone down. And he could not throw a strike to save his life. And so they tried to unravel, you know, the past and rebuild the past and give him a foundation in terms of his identity, his psychology, and all this kind of stuff. And and uh, and then he 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 figured out a trick. And what he would do was he would drink vodka on the bench before he would go out and pitch. And there was a start where they started him, and he actually pitched fairly well. And his trick was instead of water in the cup. The trainer had given him vodka to calm him down. The anxiety, the weight of the world is on my shoulders kind of thing. And so it worked one time and the psychologist told him, it's not going to last. You'll see. And so sure enough, the next time he pitched, I mean, he's just wild all over the place. They had to take him out. Eventually, what happened to this man uh, was that he, he, he quit and he said, I'm finished. I can't do it anymore. And he quit. And so his agent called him and uh, the team communicated to him and said, we want to turn you from a pitcher into an outfielder. Now, that is very, very rarely done in the game where a person will transition from that particular position to being an outfielder. And so, lo and behold, it's one of the strangest stories in the game. This man, and I'll show you the picture of him hitting, became a very, very good outfielder very, very quickly. He turned into a decent hitter, and his arm in the outfield was uncanny. The man could throw a strike at 100 miles an hour from 300 feet, but he could not throw a strike pitching. Because mentally, everything changed. But it is this feeling of having this weight on the shoulders that this athlete talked about over and over and over again. What does that have to do with Christianity? What does that have to do with, give me a reason why I should become a Christian? Well, because the reason that we become a Christian is not so that we become more righteous. It's not so that we become a better person. It's not so that we can have better ethics. All those things should happen when a person becomes a Christian. But that's not the reason why a person should become a Christian. And I was explaining to this lady, you know, we can compare our righteousness with one another. We can compare our goodness with one another. And we could say, you know, well, I'm better than so-and-so or I'm better than so-and-so. And she said, you know, some Christians do that. Some Christians talk about how they're better than somebody else. And wow, what a shame that would be for a Christian 
to present themselves as somehow being more righteous than a non-Christian. If anything, a Christian should present themselves as being more forgiven than a non-Christian. And I explained to her that our righteousness, and, you know, we can compare ourselves with one another, our righteousness when compared to God's righteousness is like dirty rags. Even the prophet Isaiah says this, our righteousness is like dirty rags compared to God. And so I said to her, the reason why we should become a Christian is so we can have a right relationship with God so that our sins, that guilt that we carry, that that weight that we carry, like the professional athlete story, that weight that we carry because of our guilt can be removed because we can be forgiven of our sin, not by the one necessarily who we sinned against, but by God who we ultimately sinned against. And so we can be free from the power and the grip and the condemnation and the guilt of sin because of God. And she she looked at me and she said, no one has ever explained it to me that way. And this is a woman who went to school and, uh, and nuns taught her. So she knows, you know, Catholicism and, you know, uh, the catechism and all these things. And she said, no one has ever explained it to me that way. So that's what it means to be saved. I said, yes, this is salvation. Salvation from what? salvation from the fact that we have a problem in our relationship with God. We are born in a broken relationship with God. It is broken. It is fractured. It is non-existent. It is severed because by nature, we have this thing in us that propels us toward sin. And even though we can try and become as righteous as we want and as loving as we want and as ethical as we want, and yes, it is true, some non-Christians are more Christian than Christians in their behavior, even though we can try and get there, that does not solve the problem because our righteousness, no matter how far we get along that road in our own strength, is like dirty rags compared to to God's and we need to be forgiven by God we cannot get there by ourselves the point of this is we have to get our soteriology right we'll put that slide on the screen so you see that word soteriology is from the Greek word about salvation the study and the understanding of salvation my friends if you are a Christian because you think your life will get better if you're a Christian What happens when your life gets worse? What happens when you get a diagnosis from a doctor? What happens when you lose your job? What happens when some of the material things start leaving? What happens when you go through a divorce? Are you going to give up your faith because of that? Well, I'll tell you, if your faith is based on blessing and, well, you know, I serve God and I'm a Christian because he blesses me and because he gives me things and because, you know, I've got a prettier wife now that I became a Christian. I've got a more handsome husband now since I became a Christian. I've got more money. I've got a nicer car. I've got a better job. I've got a better health. Uh, or better health, you know, my, my kids are less unruly since I became a Christian. If that's your reason for becoming a Christian, those things are, are temporary. You could lose those things through no fault of your own. You could lose them. But one thing you will never lose is the forgiveness of God offered in the person of the God-man Jesus Christ. You you will never lose the, the ability to receive that. Until the day you die, that gift of salvation is offered to you and to me. It is not based on blessing in the sense of material or temporary blessing. Sure, sure God is able to do all those things. Sure he is able to bless you materially and financially and relationally and emotionally and all of those things. 
But the primary reason why we become a Christian is so that we can be made right with our Creator. And so that weight of sin can be removed from our lives and we can live free from the power and the grip of sin, even starting now. You know, there's a question on our Q&A series where someone had asked, you know, is it okay for a person to become a Christian just so that they can avoid hell? Well, I mean, if that's the only reason why a person becomes a Christian so that they can avoid hell, they're going to live their life completely ineffective and powerless and paralyzed and unproductive as a Christian. Because as we as we saw last week, they're not adding to their faith anything. They're just waiting to, to, to pass away. What kind of Christianity is that? No, we become a Christian because we can experience a relationship with God now, starting now. And that changes the way that we live our lives. And that is compelling to people. You've got to have a reason that is going to not only sustain you, but is so powerful in your life that you are eager to share that reason with other people. You shouldn't have to be coaxed by you know some pastor to share your faith. You should have an uh, inside of you, there should be a desire to share with others because of what you have experienced. It is so compelling. The reason is so powerful that it can be shared with other people. Give me one good reason. The second question, and Peter actually gives a relatively easy answer to this, simple answer in his kind of podcast format. Why is Christianity true? You may have a compelling reason why you believe. That may be a very compelling reason for someone else to believe, but why is it true? And Peter wanted to warn these people and tell these people as he sensed that his own death was near at the hands of Nero. We looked at that um, last week. If you look at the context of Second Peter chapter 1, he says, I... I I think I need to refresh you and, and remind you because I know that I will soon put this tent of the body aside as our Lord Jesus has made clear to me and I will make every effort to see that after my departure you will always be able to remember these things. And four, we did not follow cleverly invented stories when we made known to you the coming of our Lord Jesus, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. And he continues, for he received honor and glory from God the Father when the voice came to him from the majestic glory. We're talking about the Mount of Transfiguration, Matthew chapter 17. It's in Mark's gospel. It's in Luke's gospel as well, I believe. So this is the voice that they heard. They saw it. They were eyewitnesses to it. This is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this voice that came from heaven when we were with him on the sacred mountain. He, he, what he's saying to them is, you need a reason for what you believe, and you also need to remember that what you believe is true. Why? He is appealing to eyewitness testimony here. Now, there are many religions with many different claims and many people who claim to have heard from God and they write down some sacred, supposedly sacred book, which they claim to be the inspired word of their deity and so on. This is not this is not uh, a new thing. There's a lot of religions that make this claim. But what's going on here is that Peter is saying what we are teaching you and what you are believing is not based on the claim of some supposed person who experienced something and nobody was there watching it, attesting to it, and there was no witness to it. There was no eyewitness. No, we are appealing to things that happened in real history with real eyewitness 
uh, uh, testimonies and people who saw it, who experienced it, who are still alive today. And this is very strange in Christianity. What you have is this, this um, uh, uh, teaching that God came into human history, but there are eyewitnesses to see this. It is in a hostile environment. Even the hostile people act as eyewitnesses to it. And it, it, it bases itself on on real events and real history, specifically the resurrection of Jesus from the dead as being a real event. This is very bizarre if you survey the whole bucket of religion worldwide. This this is a bizarre kind of presentation. It doesn't make it true, but it's what Peter is appealing to, and he's saying, there were eyewitnesses to this, and I was one of them. And that is quite unique when you survey the whole... Uh, you know, religion worldwide, philosophies, cults worldwide. This is quite unique. And not only this, but he continues. So he's got he's got eyewitness testimony that he's appealing to, and this is what he he continues with, and he does this very quickly. And he says, and we have the word of the prophets made more certain, and you will do well to pay attention to it as to a light shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Above all, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation, for prophecy never had its origin with the will of man. But men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. He is appealing to predictive prophecy. Now, I remember when I first became a Christian, I first heard the word prophecy, I started to laugh. I said, what is this, some kind of crazy movie? You know, that's where you where you hear the word prophecy. These people believe in their, their book has some sort of magic prophecies in it. But then I began to study the Bible, and I began to see that the Bible appeals to the existence of God based on the fact that that God can tell the future in advance and document it. And I began to test this and began to research this. And to my surprise, there are not dozens, but there are hundreds, some of them very, very dramatic, some of them very, very minute, um, predictions that are made by various writers, especially in the Old Testament, but in the New Testament as well, that dozens, if not hundreds of years later, come to pass in natural human history without a supernatural intervention. And there are many who have come to this conclusion. I'm certainly not alone in this. And Peter is appealing to this, and he is saying, this makes things more certain. And you say, well, what kind? And I'll just give you, as we as we finish up today, what Peter notices in his writings. And what Peter does in the book of 1 Peter, just as an example, talking about suffering in conditions that are unjust, he says this, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 21, to this you were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. And then what does he do? He appeals to predictive prophecy. He committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. That's, that's from Isaiah 700 years before. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate when he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree. Remember, salvation. Why? Give me a good reason. This is the reason. He bore our sins in his body on the tree so that we may die to sins and live for righteousness, that weight being removed. By his wounds you have been healed, for you were like sheep going astray, but now you have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. What he's doing there is he is quoting almost verbatim from predictive prophecy, and this is from Isaiah and the 53rd chapter, and he is just dropping this 
right in uh, doing this, doing exactly what he says in Second Peter, talking about the certain word of these prophets. So Isaiah chapter 53, verse 1, 700 years before Jesus lived. Skeptic who's watching, who's listening, listen to these words and tell me who it reminds you of. Who has believed our message and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. But he was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and familiar with suffering, like one from whom men hide their faces. He was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he took up our infirmities. The writer is writing in the past tense about a future event and carried our sorrows, and yet we considered him stricken by God, smitten by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his wounds we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray, and each one has turned to his own way, but the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. And you continue, and you can see there is a man being spoken about here who will die, who will be buried with the rich somehow, whose life will not continue but will continue. It is eerily accurate about the person of the Lord Jesus. We see this mentioned numerous times in the New Testament, this particular piece of predictive prophecy. The book of Acts, the Ethiopian is reading this, and he, he Peter goes to him, and the man says, who is he writing about? Is he writing about himself or someone else? And Peter talks to him about Jesus. It is mentioned over and over and over again. And this is just one example of this whole thing of predictive prophecy that Peter is appealing to with these young believers, these early believers, have a reason for what you believe, number one, and understand that what you believe is true. So I just want to take a moment uh, to pray with you uh, today as we as we finish up. Uh, this is such important stuff. You know, we need to be about the business and we need to have it as a priority in our lives to want to share what we have with others. If we don't want that, if the reason that we believe is not compelling enough or we think that what we believe isn't true and we don't have a conviction about it being true, well, then we won't share our faith. Then we'll just sort of keep it to ourselves and we'll just sort of try and, you know, do the Christianity thing and the church thing. But when trouble comes, we're probably going to fall or have a really close call with falling away. And it's just like that's no way to live. It, we've got to have a conviction. We've got to have a reason. And we've got to be eager to share. So I want to challenge you today. What's going on in your life that compels you to get out there and share your faith? What's going on in your life that will move you to be involved in your community wherever you are, that you can be a light for Jesus and reach the one who is far from God? Are you a passionate enough follower of Jesus that is just bubbling over out of you to share the love of God with others? They may not agree with you, but do you have the conviction to share. Father, I pray for each one today on the other end of this, this camera, this microphone. I pray, God, for those of us who call ourselves followers of you. Would you fill us with your Holy Spirit once again, that we would have the drive, that we would have the passion, that we would have the desire to share our faith 
in this world, especially here in this province of Quebec, especially at this time, God, that we would be about the business of Jesus coming out of our lives. I pray for those, God, who are investigating, questioning, wondering, Lord, that with every question, they would see you drawing closer and closer to them. With every doubt, Lord, they would see strikingly that your presence is ever near to them. And I pray, God, you would reveal yourself to people in a powerful way, even through all of all of their questions and all of their doubts, God, that you would reach out to people, that people would reach out to you and find you, for you are not far from every one of us. We pray in Jesus' name, amen, amen. Well, God bless you today, and thank you so much for tuning in with us. Uh, again, uh, over the next couple of weeks, you'll hear from some guest speakers, friends of mine, and they're going to do a terrific job. So I challenge you to stay plugged in and keep watching. Uh, those of you who are now interested in the Alpha course, there'll be emails coming your way to further try and explain what it is to you and to build our team. But I'm looking forward uh, to launching that at some point in the month of August. And so God bless you over the next couple of weeks and have a great, great Sunday. Until next time.